Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football, with your host, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Welcome back to another episode of Dynasty Theory, a proud member of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network. Once again, we're live on the Dynasty Theory YouTube channel. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. Unfortunately, Mitch is not going to be joining us tonight, but as always, Dan is here to hold on the fort. That is Dan Lamagna. That's at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? Hey, we're used to carrying uh, Mitch anyway, so uh, you know we'll hold it down one more show and, and welcome him back for our next one. But I'm pumped again, JB, man. Another awesome guest tonight. Uh, you know, I got to compete against him a little bit in an NFC draft recently. That was a lot of fun. And uh, him and his team's grinding over at Fancy Points. I had, to, I had to support the business and subscribe today. So, JB, tell us about our uh, guest tonight. I honestly don't think there's a show that has had better guests than we have. And it's just going to continue on here this week. Co-host of Fantasy Feast with Ross Tucker, owner and editor of Fantasy Points. And I heard he might be one of the top, if not the top ranker on Fantasy Pros, none other than Joe Dolan. And if you're not following him on Twitter, it's at FG underscore Dolan. What's going on, Joe? Hi, guys. I'm sorry your uh, your run of really high-quality guests comes to an end tonight. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But no, it's really good to be here. I I appreciate have, uh, appreciate being here. I got the frat boy. Uh, I'm not used to being on video, but I got the frat boy little wings <laughs> flipping up underneath my hat because I haven't had my hair cut in a while. So um, I'm, I'm dating back to sophomore year of college here. But no, it's good to be with you guys. Um, good to talk some ball. I, I think uh, I don't want to go too too off script here, but I think uh, today we're we're sitting here talking on Monday, the 18th of May, starting to get a little bit of good news here that you know football four months away looks like there's some really good momentum that this thing is 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 going to happen. So what better time to get into dynasty though, right? I mean, because we're going to have 20, 2020, 2021, 2022. There's going to be some ball. I'm excited for it. If the season doesn't start on time, I keep joking with Dan and Mitch. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like fantasy football is really my only hobby. My wife would be kind of happy. I think if the season got delayed or even canceled, but I, I don't know what I would do with my spare time. And before we get into the show, Dan, you already mentioned it, but you took part in a redraft draft with Joe. Joe, I got to ask, I, I, how did it go? Because Dan, he was, he was bashing you the whole time. No, just <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. Uh, we were, I think, uh, we were sniping each other. Actually, um, I, I, I don't remember specifically some of the picks. There was like that. It was a, it was an NFFC cut line draft. So there was like literally 280, like 260, 280 picks, something like that. Like 26 rounds of 10 teams. Um, so I know Dan. There are a couple of times where we cursed at each other. <laughs> like there was, like, there were some times where I was like, because we were picking back to back. So there were some times we definitely cursed at each other in that draft. So I think that means though, if, if you have two guys picking back to back and they're cursing at each other during the draft, I think, you know, that's probably a good sign that they're on the same wavelength. So we should, we should probably have a good talk here. Yeah. J JB, I think it was pretty competitive for six rounds. We were going back and forth. And as Joe mentions, we sniped each other a few times, but you're probably going to give him the edge. Cause I I'm looking at the board here and in the seventh round, he went before me. And he got your boy behind you there, Keyshawn Vaughn, no matter what. And I had to settle for David Montgomery, who we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, so you, you might give Joe a slight edge with that Vaughn pick. No, that's a tough choice for me because I'm all aboard the David Montgomery hype train as well, which we are going to talk about him eventually tonight. So let's jump right into it. 
you know, with, with Joe being a top ranker on fantasy pros, and this is kind of an impromptu question that I should have included on the show notes, but you don't have to completely show us behind the curtain, but what's kind of your process? You know, you, you're, you know, very well known in the fantasy community, you know, especially on Twitter, you know, what is your process overall for, you know, your top notch rankings year after year? So the process is, I mean, I wish I, I was just on another pod. Um, um, it, this might've been with, with Pat Fitzmorris. Um, and I talked about the process. And so the process is that there isn't like a formula. Um, and you know, that's, that it, that there's nothing against people love, you know, Mike Clay, people love when he's able to take a guy, like a team makes a transaction. Let's just say, for instance, um, Adam Kaplan's reported recently, the Eagles might have interest in signing Carlos Hyde. Okay. So like if the Eagles were to sign Carlos Hyde, Mike could pop him into his formula and generate an awesome looking projection sheet like that. Okay. That that's kick ass. Um, but when it comes to the rankings, um, what I've always done on fantasy pros, and I can never take the sole credit for this because wherever I've been, our site, whether it was at Fantasy Guru back in the day or whether it uh, was at Fantasy Free Agents last year uh, with just me and Tom Brawley or whether it's at Fantasy Points this year um, with, with our whole staff, the process is very natural. It's very organic. It's um, – it's they are the staff rankings you know we're not going to have we're not going to have six different sets of staff rankings from fantasy points up at fantasy pros we're going to have one set it's going to be the set i i um i submit and what happens is uh, john hansen will will form a baseline projection um you know john john is still very much involved in this process and he'll say all right guys go through this and like pick this apart essentially um, in our Slack channel. And, and we'll have, we'll have like five different guys say notes, Adam Thielen's way too low. Odell Beckham's way too high. Just for, just for an example. Um, And then we kind of, we, we kind of amalgamate all those thoughts and we, we spit out a more generalized um, uh, set of rankings that has, you know, guys I'm higher on, that John is lower on. John will, will bump up in the projections. We'll bump that up by um, by just groupthink. And even though it's not as high as I would go, perhaps, for instance, maybe I'll draft somebody that we have ranked 19th. I would draft him 14th at the wide receiver position. But it, it has worked for us for years. I mean, look, um, once is chance, you know, maybe two becomes a trend. Um, and we had we, – we finished – First, first overall twice in the past five years. Um, we had another top five finish and then another, I think, top 25 finish. I think that track record speaks for itself. And, and like, people are like, how do you game the system? And I'm like, you know, I don't try to game the system. I'm, I don't put rankings into the fantasy pro system to say, man, I'm, I'm gaming it. You know, I'm ranking this guy way higher because I know they're going to finish. I, I, I don't know how to do that. You know, I've had people ask me, it's like, what do you do? You know, how do you break the system? I, yeah, I wish I could tell you, you know, I, I can't tell you that. I, so um, I, I really do. I wish I could tell you because if, if I could tell myself that, then I'd figure out a way to game the system. So even if my rankings sucked, we'd be able to say, Hey, you know, um, I just think the rankings are good. Uh, and, and it's that organic process. There's that human feel. And I think that's why um, with Hanson uh, and now with, with Tom Brawley and Scott Barrett and Graham Barfield and the whole team we have at fantasy points, I think that's, um, what people are getting 
um, you know, we, it, 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 we literally are a bunch of dudes sitting around talking football and saying, you know what, that guy looks like he's ranked too high. And you look at it and say, and then you look at the numbers that he has projected because you don't do rankings, right? You do projections and then the projections spit out the rankings. You don't, you don't just pre but then you look at it and say, okay, you gave this guy 150 carries. That's about right. But he still looks like he's ranked a little too low to me. And then you say, you know, maybe you look at it and say, you know what? That actually does look right. I don't know where he's going to get more carries than that. Or uh, on the flip side, man, you we only gave this guy 110 carries. I'd bump him up to 170. And then that moves him up 11, 12 spots in the rankings. So it's that whole thought process of, I think this is what they're going to do. This is my personal opinion. This is where I would take him. I view him as an – I'll always rank an upside guy a little bit higher than, you know, just just that natural thing. And it's just kind of natural, and, and that's the way we're going to continue to do it. And that doesn't mean we don't have formulas. You know, like Hanson's not out there with an abacus, you know, going over and, and saying, and saying, well, you know, I got – there are formulas. But, like, they, they're, the human touch is important to it. So um, that's kind of how we've done it. And – I, I hope we have success again with it this year. I know, um, you know, I think that's what people are paying for at the website. So, you know, it, it's I, I I wrote my welcome letter at Fantasy Points, and I wrote about something that I struggle with. Um, it's called imposter syndrome, and it, what what imposter syndrome is is just something like always feeling like that that nagging feeling in the back of your mind that you're like a fraud, um, and. I think part of the reason I felt that is because people always ask me that question. I'm not, not blaming you guys, but people ask me that question. And then I'm like, ah, shit, I don't know. Like, you know, and, and like, but I think it's just, you know, sometimes you, you get the right group of people, you know, it's like, it's like the Rolling Stones, you know, like, I don't like if Keith, if, if Keith Richards was, was playing guitar in another band, he might not have been a great guitar player or songwriter, but he and Mick Jagger together, man, they kick ass. Like, I, I don't know, maybe not, not to say I'm, I'm the Rolling Stones, please. I was going to say, um, are you Keith Richards or Mick Jagger of fantasy? Yeah, I don't know. I think Keith quit drinking, by the way. So, <laughs> must be Mick Jagger. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, no, yeah, not to say that, but just like sometimes that chemistry is important, you know, to, to, to round it off to football. Tom Brady always knew which direction Julian Edelman was going on the option route. You know, maybe Julian Edelman will struggle with that with Jared Stidham this year. So that that's just kind of the way it's always worked, just that good chemistry. And, you know, I think that's what people pay for because you guys know damn well, um, not, not to hijack your show here, there's so much great content in the fantasy space. There are people who who have websites that are great. You know, there's people on Twitter who, who aren't as – God damn lucky as I am, like, like just lucky to have a platform who are doing better work than I am. But, you know, sometimes people are like, yeah, but there's just that je ne sais quoi. There's that something that, that, like, you know, Hanson and, and, and Barfield and Dolan have. And that, you know, I, I think that's the way we make, because I can't explain it. That's the only way I can explain it. I like to add something there, Joe and JB. And one thing I really liked about Joe's answer is how it is organic. And I truly believe that in what he's saying. Um, I could relate in some of the work we've done here at Dynasty Theory and just watching you and following you and your team, Joe. Um, you know, when I got into this, I'm more I'm a DFS, DFS guy trying to win money. I did a little combination of redraft and dynasty. 
but it's normally right around now my formula kicks in with rankings. But since being corrupted by JB and Mitch, like JB has 60-plus dynasty teams. I started with one. I'm up to about 15 right now. Um, but you grind so hard, you just really get a good feel for where these guys go in the rankings. And I watch how hard you guys grind. You know, Joe, I've been listening to you on Ross's show, you know, weekly. Uh, Scott Barrett, I love how he, you know, listens to the coaches' press conferences and takes those little nuggets and, and just listen to your rookie mock draft you guys did race recently. I was able to pick up a couple knit nuggets that were, you know, maybe something I haven't picked up in my studies that helped. So I think there's something to that organic rankings that we all kind of get a feel for that our listeners benefit from because we're grinding. We're, we're reading in this all day, all night. And it's always good to get a different perspective like Joe is bringing because we did, we had Mike Clay on the show a few weeks ago and he is very formula oriented. And just like you said, Joe, he plugs into a spreadsheet, boom, it spits it out. But there is that subjective nature to the game and you have to almost have a feel. So while you're, you're bringing the formulas to the table, there is, like I said, that subjective nature that has to be incorporated as well. So it's always very good and beneficial to us and our listeners to get another perspective. And that's exactly what you and the, the fantasy points team brings to the table. So as you can guess from the name of the show, dynasty theory, we focus solely on redraft. No, I'm just kidding. So we focus on dynasty, but the short term outcomes that really plays a big role in the dynasty values. So what we want to talk about tonight. And again, we have you on the show. You're part of a team. That's a top ranker. So I want to run through some lower tier guys, sure. rookies, and second year guys that maybe are flying under the radar or in their rookie year last year, they just didn't produce. So now we're not really thinking about it because all the new shiny toys are coming out. So Joe, start us off. Who's a guy coming in this year as a rookie that you think really could surprise people and have a year one impact? Um, well, first and foremost, um, I, I think uh, when you guys asked about like under the radar rookies, I'm thinking guys who are probably at, at bare minimum second round rookie dynasty picks. So I think one of the first one and probably the most obvious one that we're going to talk about is An Anthony McFarland with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he was a fourth round pick. And, you know, I kind of look at it from multiple perspectives when you talk about McFarland. you know, like Pittsburgh. There is a lot of talk this offseason. You know, their beat writers were saying they are really talking to running backs at the Combine. I remember them specifically saying they had a long sit-down with Zach Moss. And, you know, that gets you thinking, oh, man, you know, James Conner's been in and out of the lineup. He cannot stay healthy. Um, Benny Snell, I didn't love him as a prospect. You know, he's one of those guys who's going to play in the league for six, seven years, but probably never carry the ball 250 times. Uh Hopefully this doesn't make me look stupid come December. Um, and then Jalen Samuels, I think, got all his opportunity last year. And they just – I just don't think the guy's a running back. I, I know he's, he takes pride in that and says, yay, that's what I am. I'm a running back. I don't think the Steelers view him that way. I, I think they view him as kind of a fullback, H-back re receiving type, kind of like he was in college. So you can look at the Anthony McFarlane pick two ways. They, they took a running back in the fourth round, which is not a premium pick uh, – you guys would probably agree like third round and up for a running back is kind of a premium pick. And they had the opportunity in the second round to pull the trigger on JK Dobbins and Cam makers. And, and I had a lot of Steeler fans, you know, I'm, I, I live in Pennsylvania and I, a lot of Steeler fans who are like, man, I really wanted acres um, for the, for the guys who were Penn state guys. They were, they were like, 
trying to swallow their pride and say, hmm, I guess I'd take Dobbins too. But like they, they wanted acres. Um, and then uh, they ended up drafting McFarland in the fourth. So the way you can look at that is say, hmm, you know, they took a guy who, who, who kind of looks like a rotational back, but they didn't, they didn't take the guy like Dobbins or Akers who profiles as a lead back. So that must mean they really like James Conner. On the flip side, you can say, well, if James Conner gets hurt again, Benny Snell was effective enough as, as that early down grinder last year that McFarlane can come in on third downs and, you know, create some explosive plays and he could be part of a really nice rotation in that backfield. So I think you can look at it from a couple of different perspectives, but I wouldn't be shocked if McFarland leads the Steelers' backfield in in fantasy points this year, at least in PPR. So he's somebody that I'm I'm more than willing to take in the double digit rounds of redraft, and I think he's a really good second round rookie dynasty pick. All right, Dan, you and I we've talked about James Conner, and I know you're a huge fan. What are your thoughts here on Joe's pick of Anthony McFarland? You know, there's one of two running backs we're talking about here as far as rookies that are in backfields that kind of keep me up late at night, trying to figure out what their plans are this year and beyond. And when I look at Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, I'm bullish on James Conner. I'm just, you know, I love watching the guy throw logs over his head, you know, his incredible story, you know, returning from cancer. He's just a determined warrior. And when he's healthy, he is excellent. Now McFarland adds some intrigue to that Steelers backfield. You know, I think Joe broke it down there with Snell could do and what McFarland could do. When I watched Anthony McFarland's game film, I loved his burst. He had sneaky potential there. And I think Reggie Bush just recently quoted McFarland potentially being better than Le'Veon Bell. So that's some high praise there. Where I struggle a little bit is where Joe mentioned that high fourth round draft pick is going sometimes very early second round in some of these rookie drafts. And I'm just not getting him at that point. So I don't have as much of him as I like. I, I would I'd love to have him on my roster because I think he's got sneaky upside. You know, Connor could, as, as bullish as he is, be made out of glass, and McFarland might steal the opportunity if if given the rock. So I like his upside. I'm just having trouble getting him in uh, rookie drafts. Now, Joe, let me ask you, does a lot of Anthony McFarland's first-year upside, is that dependent on a James Connor injury? Yeah, I, I think so because Connor can do it all. Um, you know, he's, he, he proved he was a good receiver. Uh, Jalen Samuels can do those things as well. So I wonder if maybe he'll stick to like kick returning, at least at the early part of the season. But if Connor goes down, I think McFarlane's going to be a really hot waiver wire pickup. So, you know, this might be a guy you have to wait a little bit for. And that's why, that's why I, I think, you know, Dan's sitting here saying, man, early second round, I want to, I want a guy who I think can really contribute right away. I don't think McFarland's going to be that guy, but I wouldn't be shocked by midway through the season if he's the lead guy. And from a dynasty perspective, you know, James Conner, last year was deal. Let's say that he does go down early in the season. We all know that he hasn't been the uh, model citizen when it comes to durability. Anthony McFarland, his dynasty value is going to rise. And we saw that with James Conner a few years ago. You know, he was doing nothing, nothing, nothing. Got the opportunity when Bell... Uh, you know, held out and then moved on to the Jets. But, you know, it, it could be a similar situation where, just like you said, Joe, we have to wait for Anthony McFarland initially, but then his dynasty value could rise, especially if the Steelers don't re-sign uh, James Conner. So it's definitely something that we have our eye on. And I know that, Dan, he's rooting for James Conner hard, but maybe Anthony McFarland, maybe he is that sneaky guy. I really like the second running back that you have listed. 
Yeah, and that's DJ Dallas, uh, the fourth round pick for Seattle. And here's the deal with Seattle now. As we're talking right now, um, they haven't brought in a veteran running back. I know uh, Adam Schefter teased a week or so ago that you know mm-hmm. Seattle has been in touch with Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn wants to play uh, further, but I don't think even even the most optimistic person. And I was definitely somebody who enjoyed watching Marshawn Lynch at the end of last season, even though he averaged like two and a half yards a carry, you know, pu- push it in from the end zone. I-, I think they could bring him in as that veteran, but um, he- let's look at the facts as they stand right now. Chris Carson's coming off a hip injury. Rashad Penny is coming off an ACL. Travis Homer played like half the season as anything even close to relevant. And then they bring in DJ Dallas, who is actually Homer's teammate at Miami. But here's the whole um, thought process I have with DJ Dallas. If you want potential proof that DJ Dallas can overtake Chris Carson, even though DJ Dallas is a later round draft pick, the only proof you need is Chris Carson himself. Chris Carson was a little regarded seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State. I always say Texas A&M because I get Kristen Michael on the on the brain. But uh, he was a seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State. God, I, I mean, I remember that that 2017 rookie class, that running back class, and it was loaded. You know, you had McCaffrey and you had Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook and Kamara and Kareem Hunt. All those guys were in that draft class. I think Tariq Cohen was in that draft class. And I'm sure I'm forgetting more guys who were there who, who had really ended up really having good to solid NFL careers, if not great careers. Um, and he kind of slipped through the cracks because he was a seventh round pick. And then all of a sudden you get to training camp and you hear the Seahawk beat writers, man, this guy Carson, you know, and then your brain, you guys are dynasty guys. So, you know, about paying attention to, you know, beat writers in training camp and like, Oh God, they're the, these guys are so sick of writing about Russell Wilson that they're trying to find any, any guy who might be interesting that they can write about and say, Oh, you know, the, the, the proverbial that phrase that I roll my eyes at always oh, turning heads. You know, I hate that. I hate that line. Oh, he's turning heads. But and half those guys end up getting cut, you know, but the, the reason you do have to pay attention to them is guys like Carson. And this was a long winded way of saying that Chris Carson, it didn't matter that he was drafted in the seventh round, just like it didn't matter that uh, Thomas Rawls was undrafted, you know, when Marshawn got hurt back in the day. The Seahawks put people on the field who earn it. Russell Wilson, when he was a third-round pick, you know, and Pete Carroll was there. He was the third-round pick. They had just paid Matt Flynn ostensibly to come in and be their starting quarterback, and Russell Wilson outplayed him in training camp in the preseason was named starting quarterback. Chris Carson won the starting running back job as a seventh-round rookie. The next year, they spent a first-round pick on a running back, and Carson beat him out. So the, the Seahawks don't care where you were drafted. If you are the best player, you will be on the field. Now, do I know that DJ Dallas is going to be their best back? Absolutely not. We're sitting here in May. There's been no offseason program. We don't know when there or if there will be a a, a traditional offseason program. But I am just playing the odds here. I'm playing history. And if DJ Dallas comes in there, you know, he's a downhill powerful runner with attitude we know the Seahawks like those guys because that's Marshawn Lynch that was Thomas Rawls that was Chris Carson um I didn't think that was Penny which is why I was a little surprised they made him a first round pick that's neither here nor there um but 
we know the kind of style they want to play. And if and if DJ Dallas comes in there and puts his foot in the ground and starts running linebackers over in training camp, he's going to get an opportunity to play. Do like I didn't know much about him as a prospect. I'll fully admit that. I like I'd seen maybe ten carries of him before he was drafted. But after he was drafted, you watch him and you say, "Man, this guy looks like a Seahawks running back." And if he impresses, he's going to get a shot to play. So he's somebody who I think in in both dynasty drafts and in redrafts, he is going way after Anthony McFarland, but might have just an equal opportunity to play. There's so much upside there, and just like you said, Joe. Pete Carroll is one of those coaches. He doesn't care at all about draft capital. Constantly, we talk about first, second, third round rookie picks um, in the NFL draft. And those are the guys that we're targeting, especially running backs, because once you hit that fourth round, typically there's a big drop off in production and longevity. But Pete Carroll, he just doesn't care. And this situation is kind of similar to the Pittsburgh situation. Chris Carson, the incumbent, you know, a little battered and bruised that had the hip injury last year, last year was contract, just like James Conner. Now there is Rashad Penny, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of his, to be honest. And I can't believe they spent first run capital. Dan, I know for a fact that you're a big Chris Carson guy as well. Yeah. I love watching Carson run. He's a beast. Uh, you know, you and I've got quite a few shares throughout our dynasty leagues, but I, I think Joe hammered this one on the head with his analysis there. You watch that game film. I mean, Penny's, he's got a lot of rehab ahead of him yet there. There's no clear path. You know, even guys like Travis Homer, on, when they were on the field, they were ready last year. Um, it's one of those running back situations I'm watching closely. I wish I was tipped off to DJ Dallas a little bit sooner. I know listen to some of your content recently, Joe, your crew there really gave some deep dive and analysis on them. And uh, late third round where McFarland's going beginning of the second, there's a lot of rookie value there in DJ Dallas. Now, this next player that you have you know, Dan and I were very active on Twitter. I know you are as well, Joe. You know, once that senior bowl came around, this guy was a Twitter darling. Yes, he was. Yeah, it's Antonio Gandy-Golden, um, who uh, the wide receiver out, out of Liberty. And um, he was a fourth-round pick to Washington. And the reason I think he was a fourth-round pick was because he didn't test really well at the combine. I think he ran a 4-6. Um, so that's not great for a guy who, you know, when you watch them on tape, you know, he's blowing past corners now. Liberty isn't the highest level. They do play some good teams, but it's not in the highest-level conference. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, a, power, a group of five F, F, uh, FBS uh, team. Um, obviously, and they were elevated from FCS uh, just two years ago, I think. But, you know, Gandy Golden kind of like he fits the, the profile of a traditional X. And uh, just based on his play style and size, and here's here's the question. And, and the reason that he's ranked here, even though he was a fourth-round pick, not typically, you know, running backs in the fourth round, you guys know you got to pay attention to him as rookies. Not – it's it fourth-round wide receivers as rookies doesn't happen as much. But um, opportunity. They have Terry McLaurin, who, by the way, was a third-round pick last year. So there's history here of them turning these mid-round picks into starting rookies as receivers. But then you look at the rest of the depth chart. Steven Sims played in the slot last year. He came on late, but he's a slot receiver. Kelvin Harmon didn't really do much last year. Um, Cody Latimer just got arrested, although I know there are some really disturbing details about that. Um so uh, I don't want to I don't want to cast any sort of guilt down on Cody Latimer just yet. Um, but so there is a lot of opportunity here. And and one more thing, they don't have a tight end worth worth a grain of salt. 
Jeremy Express, you know, there Thaddeus Moss was an undrafted rookie, and there's people talking about him because yep. they signed him and they have nobody else. They have Logan Thomas, Jeremy, and Jeremy Sprinkle. I mean, uh, I think they signed Rich's Richard Rogers as well. They got Hale Henches there, you know. The, so there's not a lot of competition for targets here. Gandy Golden is one of those where if he tested a little better, maybe the guy's a second round pick. Just because he didn't test well, you know, he doesn't have the high level of competition. It pushes him into the fourth round in a really deep wide receiver class. But Washington might have gotten a steal. And in terms of landing spot, I think Gandy Golden's going to get every opportunity here. If he impresses in camp in the preseason, if there is one, he's going to get the opportunity to start next to McLaren. I, I truly believe that. Now, while the opportunity is there and, you know, where you're going to get him in redraft and dynasty rookie drafts, you're really, there's no risk there because you don't have to spend a lot of draft capital on any of these guys. You know, we wanted to avoid the high end rookies that everybody's talking about and including us, you know, on previous episodes, but for Antonio Gandy golden, is there any concern with, yes, he might have the opportunity, but that offense and, you know, it just wasn't very good last year. I'm, I'm still Dwayne Haskins agnostic. Um, uh, it, like I think he showed some good things there. He showed some things that, you know, were some of the reasons I didn't love him as a prospect. So um, yeah, that, that would be the big concern here is like, all right, he's the starter. Yay. You know, like it, it's just like uh, there, there, there've been teams with some bad young quarterbacks where you don't really give a crap who the starting receivers are. So there's that opportunity as well, but I'll, I'll be willing to pay the relatively cheap price in dynasty to at least say, Hey, look, it, we're sitting here on the third round of my rookie dynasty draft. Everybody here is a project. Man, maybe I'll get somebody who might be a starter this year. You know, like that. That's kind of the thought process I have with him. And when we look at these rookies, the like I said, the cost of acquisition it's not significant. And if he does anything this his during his rookie year, you're going to see it spike in value. So you're going to you know reap the benefits there. The last two guys you have here. I actually, uh, across all of my dynasty teams, I don't have one share of either. Wow. So I actually, and I have quite a few teams, as Dan mentioned. So I'm hoping maybe you can shed some light on these guys and maybe talk some sense into me. So I, I here's the funniest part about Bill Belichick marches to the beat of his own drum, right? Last year, we had what is rare these days. We had, hey, this is a really good tight end draft class. Rob Gronkowski had just retired retired um and bill belichick doesn't draft a tight end and they roll out there with the jabronis they had who the hell did they even play last year um i think they brought in ben watson they had um uh who the hell like i i'm, I'm forgetting the guys even even their names like uh I'm completely blanking jacob hollister was oh, he there yeah <laughs> uh, no he uh, was he was uh, on uh yeah, yeah he was like, for a little while he was there in the uh, trade. Yeah. yeah, Matt Lacoste. That's who I'm thinking. Lacoste. That, yep, uh, that's Lacoste. it. Uh, yeah, it was like um, Hollister. You know, the he smells like an, he smells like Axe body spray walking around. And then Lacoste, like, yeah, like the uh, like the the Gator on his shirt. Right, guy. right. So you had the they two, just need Abercrombie and they're good to go. Yeah, they had the, the the two preppy tight ends, and then um, uh, so but this year, which people thought was a horrendous tight end draft class, they draft two. Of course, it, both in the third round. And um, Asiasi, here's another guy who I admit I was only tuned into after the draft, after the Patriots drafted him. And we have the benefit at FantasyPoints.com of publishing Greg Cosell's NFL draft guide. First time he's ever published the full draft guide. We have over 100 players uh, available up there. And he watched Devin Asiasi 
and he came away super impressed. And, um, you know, Greg, Greg does not mince words, and he rarely talks in absolutes, but he came away watching Devin Asiasi and thought he was a better prospect than Cole Komet. And I thought that was really fascinating. And for a guy who might not have been on a lot of people's radar, Bill Belichick takes him in the third round. Keep this in mind. Bill Belichick also has a really good relationship with Chip Kelly, who's the head coach at UCLA. So I can guarantee you Chip Kelly put in a hell of a word for Devin Asiasi. That speaks volumes to me. And what I see here, I don't think tight ends are ever, they're never sexy dynasty picks in your rookie draft because you guys know it's so rare for a rookie one to come in and produce right away. But there is a boatload of opportunity here. Now, if Tom Brady was still throwing the football, We'd probably be hearing more buzz on Asiasi, but they they took this guy with a plan in mind. He is a traditional receiving tight end, while Dalton Keene, their other third-round pick, I think he's more of a fullback, H-back uh, Kyle Juszczyk type. So I think Asiasi, based on the things I hear about him as a prospect, you take Belichick's history with Chip Kelly in, into mind. I think Asiasi, in terms of opportunity, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a lower-end waiver guy at some point this year. Hey, I'm really struggling at tight end. Uh, the, ah, this Asiasi guy's been catching two, three passes every once in a while for the Patriots. I'll pick him up. I don't expect him to blow up, but, you know, Belichick drafted him. Knowing his relationship with Chip Kelly, there's plenty of opportunity. That all jumped off the board to me when I when I saw them pick Asiasi. Every time I hear his name, I think of Asai, like the uh, the the berry. Yeah, like the uh, oh, they the Asai bowls. I right, know they're right, huge. right. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought you were talking about like an acai moonsalt back from back in the day when I used to watch pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> they, the, Dan and I have or, talked about pro le- wrestling every once in a while. But... So um, there was also, um, he makes me think of Matt Asiata. Um, John yeah. Hanson over yep. at Fantasy Points used to call him the ass man. I know John was really excited they drafted Asiasi because now he says there's a new ass man. <laughs> so um, so you can see the ass man is the ass man cometh in uh, in New England. He'll have to get the license plate like they had in Seinfeld. Yeah. But, you know, and this is he, he, Devin Asiasi. He's an interesting one because we all know that tight ends take some time to develop. So if he struggles out of the gate, I think that presents a perfect buy low opportunity, especially where people were getting him in rookie drafts really late. Just like you said, Joe, tight ends, they're not sexy rookie picks. People want to get the running backs, wide receivers yeah. and tight ends. They kind of. Right, exactly. And they kind of slipped down the draft boards a little bit. So that could present an opportunity, especially in like a tight end premium league. Now, this last guy, and Dan, I know you also said you watched some film on on the last guy that Joe has here. And again, just a guy that I have nowhere. So, Joe, again, uh, shed some light. Show me the way here on John Hightower. Yeah, this was a guy I was in on before the draft. And uh, just, you know, picking through wide receivers, you know, you want everybody, when you hear that this is a historic class and the reason I think it was historic and you guys would probably agree is not because of just like the all world talents at the top there. Like, I don't think there was a Julio in this class or, or certainly not a Calvin. Um, but there was just so many good players. Like, you know, you saw Michael Pittman going in the second round and that's a guy in a normal year as a first round pick T Higgins, normal year as a first round pick, you know, even somebody like Denzel Mims was getting first round buzz. He went late in second round. But you want to make sure none of these guys slip through the cracks. So I turned on some um, – some, I'm, I'm a big college football better, casual. Um, but I just love Saturday nights, you know, before the grind of NFL Sundays. I love sitting on my couch, drinking a, drinking a glass of whiskey, and betting on some West Coast football. 
So we are those of us who bet on college football are familiar with 10.30 p.m. Eastern time games with Boise State on the Smurf turf. So I knew John Hightower. And when I turned him on and I saw some I saw some uh, actual just like focused on him, like in terms of tape or highlights, whatever you want to call them, that are available on YouTube. Um, I saw some Robbie Anderson in the guy and um, was thinking, you know, in a normal year, this guy looks like he's got some juice as like a third round prospect. Then you find out he's like 24 years old. So he's an older rookie um, and maybe there's not a whole lot of development left. He's probably a little skinny. But the Eagles get him in the fifth round, and the one thing this guy can do, it's evident on tape, it was evident at the combine, he can fly. I think he jumped really well at the combine too. So that shows straight-line explosiveness. There was no offense in the NFL slower than the Philadelphia Eagles last year. So, you know, they they drafted Jalen Rager, okay? Jalen Rager is going to start. If Deshaun Jackson is healthy, Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson are the starting wide receivers. There's no doubt about that. But Deshaun Jackson played one game last year for all intents and purposes. Could John Hightower get a shot to make an impact here? That that it is a last round dart throw in your fourth or fifth round of your rookie draft. But you know, I can see somebody like this filling a need for Philadelphia. They had nobody who could run last year, and this guy can run. Dan, what are your thoughts? Because I know that you mentioned you were watching some film on this guy. Yeah, it started out with uh, who's John Hightower, but then when you watch the film and you do some study, and he is a fast and quick kid. You know, Joe mentioned his scores at the combine. His short shuttle was as good as anyone's as, w- as well. And he's a tough kid with good instincts. Um, could he get stronger? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think he's a guy you just don't want to forget about in Dynasty. You know, if those guys in Philadelphia do stay healthy, there's still good odds that they're not going to be back next year. So there is an opportunity in Philadelphia. And I think the last three guys we talked about, Hightower, Asiasi, and Gandy Golden, what the three of them have in common is opportunity and good coaching. You know, so I don't think you want to lose sight of those guys as potential values in Dynasty. Yep. And where you're able to get them, again, redraft Dynasty. I mean, redraft, none of these guys are going to be going in in redraft drafts, especially if you have a shorter bench. But in Dynasty, they're going to be great stashes because, like you said, Dan, the opportunity is there. And with the limited draft capital, that's all we're looking for. So those are some of the rookies. Again, we wanted to kind of go a little bit lower on the totem pole. Didn't want to spend time on the the Joe Burrows, the Clyde Edwards Hilaire's, Jonathan Taylor's, but guys that really could make an immediate impact that are going super late in your rookie drafts that could actually see a bump in value here in year one. Now, I also wanted to talk about some underwhelming second year players. You know, they flopped in year one. People really aren't talking about them because, again, it's rookie hype season. So, Joe, start us off here. Who is one second-year player that you really have your eye on this offseason? Well, it, it, I, I think I'm. we don't want to be too quick to write off David Montgomery. And David Montgomery is the kind of running back that I think people don't w- really want to draft. You know, he's a bigger guy who isn't seen as explosive, and he might be seen as a plotter, and he really didn't have a, real, a, a good season. But, you know, you come in there – you see that they're, they're changing up the offense. Um, he still had a lot of opportunity last year, 242 carries, caught 25 passes. The offensive line wasn't very good, which is a problem. But whoever is the starting quarterback there, whether it's Nick Foles, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky, those guys need a run game. That you're not you're not dropping back and throwing 50 times a game with either of those two guys, especially Trubisky. So I think David Montgomery is the perfect kind of post-type kind of he's not a sleeper because like I mean he's still like a sixth round pick 
you know, fifth, sixth round pick somewhere around there. Um, but I think he could be a decent post type RB2. If I load up on wide receivers, and, and you guys have had drafts, redrafts, where you're thinking, man, um, I'm so loaded at wide receiver and I couldn't pass on, I couldn't pass on this really great receiver to take a meh fourth round back just because I wanted a running back. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't pass on Odell Beckham to take Mark Ingram. I, I just couldn't do it. Like the, there was too much upside there with Odell Beckham. And then it gets to, oh God, now I have three really good receivers. Or maybe I drafted a tight end and I had two really good receivers and, and a great running back, but I, uh, I don't feel great about the running backs on the board. And Dave Montgomery sitting there. I think that's a decent guy, a reasonable guy to take a shot on and say, the situation wasn't great last year. He's probably better than the numbers showed. I still liked him coming out. You know, I have to remember people were drafting this guy in the third and fourth round the year before um, over Miles Sanders, which turned out to be a massive mistake. Um, but Miles Sanders is going in the second and first round now. You know, Dave Montgomery's going in the fourth and fifth. Uh, I think that that fits the profile of a guy who, not a sexy pick, Tariq Cohen's still there, but other than Cohen coming in on passing downs, I don't really see a whole lot of competition for David Montgomery getting carries, and the Bears are going to run the football. I love this one, and when I saw this on the list, I was like, yes. So I, I've been doing some writing for Fantasy Pros, little shameless plug, but David Montgomery was one of the guys I mentioned, and everybody's talking about, well, his yards per carry. This year, I'm really high on David Montgomery and Le'Veon Bell. We want opportunity, and those two are going to have it. You know, David Montgomery, just like you said, Joe, Tariq Cohen's there. Besides that, there is nobody behind him. And You're not if a big gets, Napoleon Maxwell guy? Right, right. He, he might be a, a late-round sleeper here. Who knows? But, you know, look at who's coming in. Nick Foles. He loves to target his running backs in the passing game. And I do expect Nick Foles to take over that. He's going he's to be the starting quarterback. They didn't make that trade for him to not be the starting quarterback. I, I always make the joke. I talk about James Washington. Even as a Steelers fan, I say that a garbage can could beat him out. That same garbage can could beat out Mitch Trubisky, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, Foles is, Foles is what he is. Um, obviously, I think fans in Philadelphia view him far differently than the rest of the league views him for good reason. For good reason. But, you know, Nick Foles with it. By the way, keep this in mind. Nick Foles is is intimately familiar with that playbook. Uh, it, he he played under Matt Nagy in Kansas City. Obviously, Matt Nagy succeeded Doug Peterson as the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl under Doug Peterson. The quarterbacks coach in Philadelphia, when Nick Foles won the Super Bowl in Philadelphia, was John DeFilippo, who, by the way, is now the quarterbacks coach in Chicago. And the offensive coordinator in Chicago, Bill Lazor, was the was the quarterbacks coach under Chip Kelly. In Philadelphia, when Nick Foles had his 27 touchdown, 27 touchdown, two interception season. So Nick Foles might know this offense better than Mitchell Trubisky knows it. And, <laughs> and Foles was with uh, Filippo in Jacksonville. Yeah, you know, exactly. obviously Foles went down early, but he still was familiar with the playbook. So those are all fantastic points that I think people Flip obviously put in a good word for him, right? Because he was there in Jacksonville when they signed him. He goes to Chicago. They trade for him. There's not a coincidence there. That, that, that that's a trend. So Foles is going to be the starting quarterback, but the point remains, the offense is going to be better with Foles than it was with Trubisky. Maybe we should be talking about the fact, maybe Nick Foles has something on Filippo. You know, maybe he has uh, some dirty secrets. I don't know. Cause that's, uh, you know, they gave them big contract. Obviously Filippo was only the offensive coordinator, but he probably had a little hand in bringing him in and then they trade for this massive contract. So maybe there's something there. Um, but yeah, I, I love David Montgomery. You know, I, was he efficient last year? Absolutely not. 
but I think he's going to get plenty of opportunities this year. And I really hope he's more involved in the passing game. So I was happy to see him on your list and in dynasty startups, you're getting him after running back 20. So all these guys are passing him up. If you're getting quarterbacks and super flex early wide receivers or tight ends and tight end premium, David Montgomery is the perfect. I don't want to say zero running back. I hate when people say that, but if you're fading running back early, he's a great choice. Now we're digging a little bit deeper here and you know, I'm looking at this list and I know Dan, he likes a few of these guys. So he's getting all hot and bothered over there, but Joe, who do you have next for us? Uh, Damian Harris and, and, people maybe, oh, oh yeah Damian Harris like who was the uh who was actually many would say the lead back ahead of Josh Jacobs at Alabama meanwhile Jacobs becomes a first round pick he was the better prospect uh and Damian Harris becomes the third round pick to the Patriots and then I think he got four touches as a rookie like I I, I frankly do not remember him playing I was actually shocked he had that many but he was a third round pick um and I think he's a great, like, kind of buy-low dynasty guy because, look, Bill Belichick marches to the beat of his own drum. What's he going to do this year? They're going to try to play defense and run the hell of the football. And, you know, that's why Sony Michelle – like, uh, Dan, I was in that draft with you, that NFFC cut line draft, and I took Sony Michelle in, like, the 10th round as my fourth running back. And I'm like, nobody wants to draft Sony Michelle, but he's going to get carries because they're going to run the football. Um, and, and I think Damian Harris kind of fits the bill there as like, what guys, what would, what do you think you could get Damian Harris Harris for in a rookie dynasty draft right now? Like a late second, third round pick. I actually think if a third round pick is on the clock and there's a prospect that somebody really likes, yeah, you could get him. I would say for an early third, possibly. So he was a third round pick last year and it was a weird pick because unlike the next guy we're going to talk about. He was a third round pick, but there wasn't immediate opportunity available. They had Michelle, they had James White, they had Rex Burkhead. All three of those guys played ahead of Damian Harris last year. But I just, I, I don't know. I have this feeling that if Michelle's knees are bad, you know, James White's role might be reduced by the fact that, you know, Tom Brady's not there anymore. Um, I think that, you know, are they going to be playing from behind a whole lot? I'm not sure because the defense is still really good. They might just so be good. playing a lot of crappy 13-10 games. And maybe Damian Harris has a role there. But like you said, am I excited about him? No. But like, I mean, you could draft him or you can draft that you could trade for him or you can draft like Cole Komet in your dynasty draft. And if you're thin at running back, maybe somebody I'd take a shot on. Dan, I think Damian Harris, that's the guy you've been stashing. I knew you were talking him up in one of our group chats. Yeah, I've been trying to get as many shares as I can. And I just think back to last year when the Patriots running back coach says, I mean, he looked the reporter dead straight in the eyes and says, this kid's going to be a good running back in the NFL. And he just complimented the Patriots running back situation of how much depth they had. And at the time, Harris didn't play any special teams. So I think it was just a matter of time. And Joe mentioned in our NFFC draft, he took Michelle. I have it here, Joe. You took him in the 10th round. It was one of the times Joe sniped me. I was all fired up. So I had to, I had to settle for Tariq Cohen to handcuff Montgomery. It was more drafting the Patriots running back situation than yeah. it was drafting Michelle. As, as we see, things are just going to grind it out and play defense. And I was able to snap Harris in the 16th round, which I was excited about that value. And I, I think the cream rises to the top, and hopefully this is the, the year. I think he's a sneaky play. You know, Greg Cosell, just to bring him up again, he always told me, teams tell you what they think. So what do the Patriots do? They, they gave their franchise tag to a guard. 
They signed a fullback, Dan Vitale, who after James Devlin retired. They drafted a fullback. If you think Dalton Keene's a fullback, H-back, check type, whatever, that's a fullback. That's the way the fullback, if it comes back in the NFL, that's the way it'll, it'll come back as, that kind of move H-back type. They're going to run the football. They, they gave the franchise tag to a guard, signed a fullback, and drafted a fullback. You're not doing that if you're going air raid. You know, like they're going to run the football. And you have a young quarterback. You have, I mean, I know a lot of people, they like Nikhil Harry, Julian Edelman's there, but it's not the strongest receiving core in the NFL. So I absolutely agree they're going to have to run the run the ball. And Damian Harris, while I'm not targeting him necessarily in any of my dynasty leagues, just like we talked about DJ Dallas, uh, you know, in other positions, Devin Asiasi, Hightower, the opportunity could potentially be there. And, you know, obviously Anthony McFarland too. But if if anything happens to Sony Michelle, I have to assume that Damien Harris is going to get that opportunity. Now, this next guy, it's so funny in Dynasty. It's such a long-term game. But we have such, we're so short-sighted. Before the NFL draft, this guy that you're going to bring up, his value spiked. Todd Gurley was gone. And now, because the Rams bring in Cam Akers, Henderson's left for dead and it's just crazy how quickly values can change even though a lot of people and myself included I expected the Rams to target a running back in the draft I know Dan he was kind of wavering he thought Henderson might get the chance but Joe you're still kind of bullish maybe on on Daryl Henderson well actually I put him on here because I wanted to talk to you guys about him because I would actually consider myself more bearish at, at this stage and this is one where I look at the facts and the facts were this last year we know the Rams were down on Todd Gurley. How do we know they they were down on him last year? They benched him in the playoffs, and and not of maybe not of Todd Gurley's fault, but not it's not like the Leonard Fournette situation. But they benched him in the playoffs. Then the very next year they trade up, use a premium pick on Daryl Henderson in, in in the draft. They used the third round pick and they traded up for him. So they used a premium pick to draft Daryl Henderson. So this tells me, this is why I was high on Daryl Henderson last year. I'm like, ooh, you know, Gurley didn't look great in the playoffs, and they're trading up for this kid, and he's a great prospect. And then he plays fewer than 100 snaps on offense. He plays behind Malcolm Brown. And then even though Todd Gurley is gone, they use another premium pick, a more premium pick, on another running back, Cam Akers, in the second round even though they still have Malcolm Brown. I don't know about you guys. I think the writing's on the wall here. The proof is in the pudding. Not to say Henderson's dead, but I think there was something they did not like about him last year. And Cam Akers being a second-round pick shows me they want Cam Akers to be their lead running back. So I have no – I mean, I think you can probably get Daryl Henderson for a song right now, Um, but I I don't know if it's – I mean – I honestly don't – it sounds ridiculous. I don't know if, if I would rather have Daryl Henderson or Damian Harris for, for Dynasty right now, even though H- Harris did nothing last year. Uh, it, it's like, well, the devil I know is Daryl Henderson, and everything says that the Rams hate him. So that one, I'm, that one I'm shaky on right now. Yeah, while Damian Harris wasn't – he didn't do anything last year, he didn't have the opportunity, whereas yeah, they, Henderson did, and he didn't do anything. That offensive line is not good. It's crazy to me, you know, I know we're obviously talking about Henderson, but when Cam Akers went to the Rams, so many people, oh, this is a prime landing spot. I'm like, 
are you watching the same thing? You look at all the measurables and the metrics with offensive line play. That Rams line was not good. And Dan, I know that you were high on Henderson pre and well, you know, maybe that's a little, uh, too much praise for him, but you felt better about him than I did. And I had him as a big time dynasty sell pre-draft because I did think they were going to bring a running back in. He was a guy I didn't want to forget about. He's a guy I would love to have on my bench in leagues for depth as opposed to some other bum. And I'm kind of holding on to a combination of when he was drafted, looking at his film, hearing the Camara hype and comparisons. Everyone's, you know, every year looking for the next Camara. And I'm not saying he's that, but there was something there. I remember liking his game film. And then in his mere 39 carries last year, when he did have them, and I'm, I'm watching these Rams games trying to figure out, all right, why is this guy not playing? When he did get reps, he could run. I mean, there was, there was some juice in him there, a little bit of a spark. Um, so I think there's some kind of talent there. And I think in the landscape of NFL running backs, I feel like the Rams are going to be one of those teams where it's going to be a two-back system. And, you know, hey, if, if Akers gets dinged up a little bit, or, you know, I, I think he's a good depth play with some some upside um, I wouldn't say I'm high on him, JB, but I wouldn't forget about him. And I think, Joe, you brought him up, but I think people are sleeping on Malcolm Brown. And I'm not saying he's going to come out and be, a, you know, he's going to light the scoreboard on fire there. But I think he's going to eat into enough of Henderson and Akers usage, especially Akers. You know, we're not sure about the how the offseason program is going to go. Hopefully these rookies can get in there sooner rather than later. But I, I do think that, you know, I actually think it'd be a three-headed monster. Jay, you, talk, you talk about Malcolm Brown too much. Stop talking about Malcolm Brown. I think Malcolm I Brown is just like all reliable. It's like until I have talked about him twice trust, in like 12 months. You know, you, every time we talk about the Rams, you keep reminding us about Malcolm Brown. He's like, the new Benny Cunningham. Like right, he just right, needs, right. He needs Akers and Henderson just to give – they just need to get trust in the coaches, and then Malcolm Brown will eventually be irrelevant. The coaches love him. He's the new Benny Cunningham. You know, they know he's not a star, oh. but he does the right thing. Now, here's the one point that I think – JB, I think you brought up that is fascinating to me. Cam Akers ran behind a miserable offensive line at Florida State and gained a ton of yards, and he has a background – as a, a high school quarterback. So you've got that understanding of fronts and, you know, maybe he just, maybe the decision-making was what they didn't like about Daryl Henderson. And they think Cam Akers is going to be able to compensate more for the bad offensive line. That might be galaxy brain thinking, but you know, they did spend a second round pick on him and it was part of the part of Akers' game that if you watched him, you had to respect he's running behind a bad offensive line and he's still gaining a ton of yards. Right. And I know that's one thing that people I don't want to say they like, but they're saying, okay, he did it at Florida State behind that terrible line. He can do it in Los Angeles. But you mentioned he was a quarterback in high school. Maybe yeah. he takes over for Jared Goff this year. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe they're throwing him in. The Maybe we're going to see, you know, we saw in Pittsburgh last year with Jalen Samuels. Maybe we see some of that wildcat. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. And look, they... They do that. They do that. That crazy crap. You know, they they do like the little sho the the shovel pop passes, the other chest passes, and all that. Sean McVay loves doing that. I would not be shocked at all to see them do some walkout with Acres. Yeah, we'll see. That that could be interesting. And then maybe we'll get three running backs in the backfield at once. They'll be doing crazy formations, and then they'll be too focused on the other weapons. Malcolm Brown will get a nice easy touchdown there on the goal line for Dan. No more Malcolm Brown. <laughs> I had to get him in one more time. Um, Joe, you have another running back here, and I think this is a sneaky one for a few reasons, but I'm going to let you get us started. Potential league winner, uh, Ryquel Armstead. Again, I mentioned the writing on the wall. They don't. They wanted to trade Leonard Fournette. They wanted to trade him. The and then 
the Colts, I think, anticipated all this. Because the Colts, you see, they picked Jonathan Taylor at number 41. What did they do? They traded ahead of a team to draft Jonathan Taylor. Yep. That team was the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, who had held the number 42 pick. So the Colts might have had it in their minds that the Jags want to replace Leonard Fournette. Turns out they ended up not uh, not even – I don't believe they selected a running back until unless they selected one really late. So they leave this NFL draft, and they end up uh, – they end up – uh, just not doing anything at the running back position. They uh, signed Chris Thompson in free agency, who's not a lead back. So right now it's Fournette, Chris Thompson, Ormstead, and Divino Zigbo, who's kind of a downhill type of runner. Um, but if Fournette just like kind of quits on the team or the team quits on him, Rykel Armstead is going to get carries. And I actually thought he looked pretty explosive last year in his role when he had a role. I... This this guy to me is like an automatic like redraft 13th round pick. I don't know how much of a buy low dynasty asset he is because I would think somebody who's sharp enough to have Rykel Armstead in dynasty is understanding the situation. But I feel like this is a guy who could kind of explode this year if he gets the opportunity. Yeah, right now it's a really tough time to buy Armstead just because of the things you said. There's a good chance that Leonard Fournette does not finish the season for one reason or another as a Jacksonville Jaguar. And they... I had Fournette as a big-time sell pre-draft because just like with Henderson, I actually thought the Jaguars were going to spend a pick on a running back, and a decent pick, and, and they didn't. The did too. Yeah, you know, right, exactly. Just like you said, the Colts jumped them in the second round, but Armstead, he is a sneaky play here, and could he be nothing? Yeah, all these guys could be, but he could still be a potential league winner, just like you said, and Dan's giving me his first time out of the night. I forgot the challenging flags in the in the man cave here. All right, but Joe John loves when I mention um, Uncle Lenny here. I don't know if that's going to come out on, on the screen, but you know I played basketball oh, yeah, with Leonard Fournette there. You know, and, and I just want to say, you know, th- this offseason while he was streaming on Instagram, Uncle Lenny said he's the Tim Duncan of the Jaguars now, as everyone's getting traded off. And I, I get he's not. Uh, I get he's not in the Jaguars' plans because they're rebuilding, and he doesn't fit into the rebuilding. They, but they couldn't move him. But they're going to work him to the bone this year. He's going to have another good season. And he's going to go off into the sunset somewhere else. So I think Armstrong, Armstead, maybe next year. But easy on my boy Uncle Lenny here. All right, he's solid for one more year. But I, I don't. I don't think it's a knock on Fournette. But there's a there is a chance that they move him for peanuts. They tried to move him during the off season already, and they just haven't been able to. I think if the opportunity does come during the season near the trade deadline, if someone's making a push, they need a running back. Then. You have Armstead down the stretch, and that's a nice find. So I agree with you guys. You want him on a roster, but while Uncle Lenny's in town there, just just know he's the man, all right? They need to call up the Rams because they don't have a good running back over there, just like we talked about. Um, Now, the last one you have here, Joe, this is the only one that I kind of disagree with, but I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. Well, I, I want you guys – like, I, I threw a name out there because I didn't want to be all obvious. Andy Isabella can fly. Um Arizona is now deep at wide receiver, theoretically, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins there. But uh, Larry Fitzgerald, we know, is older. Isabella can fly. He started to play more towards the end of last season. Uh, Caught like eight passes, but he averaged 21 yards per catch. The only question is, is he going to be able to beat out Keyshawn Johnson and Nakeem Butler? And and that's a valid question. But um, you, you know that Arizona, even though 
Cliff Kingsbury towards the middle and end of the season started using tight ends more and more, two back sets more and more, wasn't running the 10 personnel as much as he was early in the season. You still know that this team's going to run zero tight end sets more than anybody in the NFL. And I think Andy Isabella has a shot to be their number four wide receiver in that situation. And there might be some big plays out of him. Uh, and if Larry Fitzgerald retires anytime soon, maybe he becomes their their new number three. I like Isabella a little longer term. I just don't know if there's much of an opportunity, which you already kind of touched on. Maybe he sneaks in there as their wide receiver four. They're not going to utilize. I know people, uh, Dan Arnold, he's a big time tight end sleeper. He'll be on the field five plays all season, and that's going to be their leading tight end. Yeah, the guy married to Roseanne is not somebody I'm 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 looking at. I'm looking at <laughs> <laughs> my dynasty league. Sorry. I mean <laughs> uh, from Wisconsin Platteville. Oh man. That's out there. High-end prospect there. But yeah, Isabel, I mean, the metrics and measurables are there. The, the kid can fly second-round draft capital. If you plug him into any uh, prospect model, he's going to pop for several reasons. You look at, you know, like I said, um, the the draft capital and the uh, the speed alone, man, like but four, four, three, somewhere around there. Like it was it was pretty, pretty fast. Um, Dan, before we wrap it up here, do you have any thoughts on Andy Isabella? I think he definitely beats out Keyshawn Johnson. I wish Mitch was here because I'd bust his chops. He mentions Keyshawn just like you do Malcolm Brown. Uh, but I, I think it's just a matter of time before we don't talk about him anymore in fantasy. I think you just got to be patient in dynasty. You know, Fitzgerald, it's a matter of time he's going to retire. And Isabella's got the fine fortune of learning from Larry Fitzgerald and now DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think he's going to be a good fantasy player with all that speed just probably a year from now. Yep, Joe, I the, the guys you brought to the table tonight, I think they were fantastic choices. Again, in redraft, they're probably all going to be sitting there on your waiver wires throughout the season, minus David Montgomery, but I do think you're getting him at a really great price, whether it's redraft, dynasty. But these are guys that could surprise some people here in year one, and if you have them stashed away, the price you paid, you're going to see you can turn quite a profit if you're looking to move them maybe at their inflated price. But Joe... Again, like we said to be to start the show, the guests we have had on this show, I don't know if another show has had better guests than than we've had. And it, you, I don't want to sell you short at all, Joe, because you you brought it tonight, man. So we really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you guys having me on. I had, I can't believe this was an hour already. I expected to look up the clock and see it was nine thirty, but uh, uh, no, it's been over an hour. So no, I appreciate it. That's probably just mostly because I I babble incessantly, as my wife would tell me. My wife, my <laughs> wife. Uh, got mad at me because like I the problem was that we were we were watching the the last dance as everybody on planet earth was and I just talk my way through it and she's like dude I'm trying to watch the damn show like <laughs> but, but like you know I'm I'm making observations about how John Stockton looked like he was 48 when he was playing and he still looks like he's 48 you know and she's like I don't care like <laughs> shut up so she gets excited when I come do this and I can bother other people so uh, so I appreciate you guys giving her a bit of a reprieve tonight. You guys yeah, both, absolutely. you both brought your a game tonight because I was surprised I got in as many words as I did between the two of you. Cause I've listened to both of your content before. So kudos to you both tonight. You're on your games. I appreciate it, Dan. Uh, I know, I know it was killing you to keep quiet over there. So, you know, I appreciate it. Dan and Mitch always give me a hard time. They say it's very difficult for them to get a word in edgewise. I can get carried away too. So I'm glad that somebody else might actually have taken the crown for me tonight for the, the chattiest guest that we've had. But again, the, the content, you know, the insight you're bringing, absolutely fantastic. So obviously throughout the show, we've talked about fantasy feast, fantasy points, as if our listeners don't already know, 
Let them know the content you're working on throughout the soft season. Let them know where to find you. Okay, I'm at fantasypoints.com. I'm the co-owner, co-owner and managing editor. Um, we have what I think is the best team uh, at a premium website in the entire industry. Um, I, I don't want to plug too much, but right now, because of the COVID-19 situation that everybody is struggling with, um, we initially planned on launching at full price, full premium. Um, you had to pay to get access day one. That is not the case. If you want to check out the website, you can check out the entire thing for free. Uh, no strings attached. You don't need to put a credit card in to check out the website. Um, but we will, uh, once it becomes obvious that there's going to be an, an NFL season and a full program, um, we are going to flip the switch to full premium. So the advantage to getting in the door right now is we are at 30% discount. We have great prices um, I think we have um, the best prices in the industry for a team that that I think is as stacked as ours. So if you want to check that out up at fantasypoints.com, we have, you know, award-winning projections, um, just observations from across the board. We have Greg Cosell's draft guide. We have an insider column from Adam Kaplan, and that that's not even counting the great work Graham Barfield and his yards created or putting out. Scott Barrett uh, doing his series. He's working on strength of schedule right now. Um, he's doing a series on upside right now. Tom Brawley is heading up our betting section. So I think we just have a wonderful, wonderful team over at fantasypoints.com. And if you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. That's a that's fun guy underscore Dolan. And then uh, at fantasypts on Twitter as well. So if you want to check out uh, our stuff, we really appreciate that. That's awesome. The team that you guys have assembled, you know, you you run through the names. It's like a who's who of fantasy football analysts so you guys you know again you're doing fantastic work over there keep, keep it up you, you you don't need me to sit here and toot your horn but you guys really are doing a great job joe again thank you so much for joining us and thank you to the listeners for joining us for another episode of dynasty theory make sure you follow the show on twitter and instagram at dynasty theory ff stay safe and have a great night <laughs>